0: You're listening to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College press production focused on national security affairs. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Decisive Point welcomes Dr. Jeffrey McCausland, author of Putin Chooses Between a Series of Bad Options, which was featured in the winter 2022-23 issue of Parameters, McCausland is a visiting professor at Dickinson College and a retired U.S. Army colonel. A national security consultant for CBS Radio and Television, he's the founder and CEO of Diamond Six Leadership and Strategy and the author of Battle-Tested, Gettysburg Leadership Lessons for 21st Century Leaders, published by Post Hill Press in 2020. Welcome to Decisive Point, Dr. McCausland. I'm really glad you're here.
1: Stephanie, it's great to be with you.
0: Your article, Putin Chooses Between a Series of Bad Options, addresses Russian President Vladimir Putin's recent escalation in his war against Ukraine. In what three ways did Putin escalate the war?
1: We have to consider, Stephanie, that escalation occurs vertically as well as horizontally. He's actually done or threatened to do both. You know, vertically, it's the use of more and more sophisticated military equipment as the war progressed to use thermobaric weapons. He attacks civilian population as his situation on the battlefield deteriorated. He's threatened to use nuclear weapons and he's mobilized additional military forces as well as the economy. But then there's also a horizontal escalation moving, if you will, in that direction. And here we see the Russians using hybrid warfare and therefore using the food weapon, shutting off the export of grain to around the world. I'm firmly convinced the Russians were behind the attack on the Nord Stream pipeline in an effort to intimidate Europeans about the possible use of energy and the use of overall energy as a weapon, as he has done that to manipulate particularly Western European public opinion. Potential threats to nuclear power plants, like around Zaporizhia, uh, which he can kind of press or not as he sees fit. And if he were to, to cause a major disaster there, he could have similar effects to a nuclear weapon with perhaps not exactly as much international backlash. He could try to blame it on the Ukrainians. And recently he's made threats to go after U.S. and uh, European satellites. So he's escalated both vertically with more weaponry as well as horizontally.
0: So given all this, what are his options now?
1: Well, his options are to, to again, further us horizontally or as well as vertically. The recent suspension of the food export was an example of that now, seems to be back online. There is some suggestion he may try to expand the war to Belarus, move Russian military forces into Belarus and use that as a geographic location to attack Ukraine. Even threatening to do that has already forced the Ukrainians to degree to move some military forces to the north to in fact prepare for that should that aggression in fact occur. He could strike NATO territory, particularly those points that are key to the importation of military hardware coming from the United States, or our European allies in an effort to restrict that. Or he can do what I think is most likely right now, which is hunker down as winter progresses, hoping to stabilize the battlefield as the ground freezes, as snow arrives, and by depriving Europeans of a lot of energy, hope that the European population in the West will become more and more disenchanted with the war, causing social unrest, and they'll force their leadership to put pressure on the Ukrainians. Furthermore, of course, His ongoing campaign to strike Ukrainian energy infrastructure may have a similar effect in Ukraine, forcing more refugees as people in the eastern part of the country, in particular, are now faced with a long winter with the possibility of no energy.
0: In your opinion, what's the probability of Putin using nuclear weapons?
1: I think the probability is low, but it certainly isn't zero. And we need to keep that in mind and be clear eyed about it. You know, it's sort of ironic that we're experiencing what I would argue is the greatest nuclear confrontation we've had since the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was almost exactly 60 years ago this past October. He could use a strategic nuclear weapon. He has a large arsenal, there's no two ways about that, but obviously that would have, I don't think necessarily military effect. It would make him a global pariah, make him in essence, North Korea. Even the Chinese would not support that. He could use a tactical nuclear weapon, a smaller nuclear weapon on the battlefield. And there are reports out even today that the russian military has considered that but again i find that doubtful he would do that russian military doctrine has always talked about using such weapons for two reasons reason number one in an effort to break through a stalemate on the battlefield and then exploit those opportunities with large-scale mechanized advance he doesn't have the mechanized forces left to do that and number two if in fact the very existence of the russian federation was at risk that's certainly not the case right now though he could say The territories he annexed, which are Russia, are in fact being invaded by the Ukrainians now, which is sort of an odd turn of of events. But I think he would again lose a lot of international support, would not have the battlefield effect. And he also has to understand, of course, that nuclear weapons, once used, raises the possibility of escalation with the United States, which he doesn't want either. And finally, of course, even localized effects like radiation affects his forces as well. As it turns out, most wind in that particular portion of eastern Ukraine, blows from west to east. So the large-scale radiation patterns would endanger not only his own forces, but perhaps even Russian territory.
0: You note that it's critical the West adopt policies to deter or respond to potential future escalation by Moscow. What would that look like?
1: Well, what it looks like is unity of effort, of course, is key. And Mr. Putin made the assumption at the very onset of this war that two things would happen. One, the war would be over quickly the Ukrainians would collapse. That didn't happen. Second of all, the West, NATO, the United States would not get their act together. There would be complaints, but we would basically accept this like we did in 2014. That has been untrue. And NATO is a lot more powerful today than I would argue it was back in February. As somebody pointed out, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks, Mr. Putin managed to undermine about two centuries of Swedish neutrality and about four decades of German pacifism in one fell swoop. So that unity of effort in the West is key. Now, Putin has got to be comforted by social unrest he sees in France, a new government in the United Kingdom, a new government in Italy, perceived disquiet even in Germany on the nature of this war going for a long period of time. And even recent comments here in the United States by senior Republicans about we can't give Ukraine a blank check and progressive Democrats sending a letter to Mr. Biden urging negotiation, which they subsequently, by the way, withdrew. I think the second thing we've got to do is we've got to continue to emphasize that Putin is committing war crimes. The attack on civilians, the attack on civilian infrastructures are, by any definition, war crimes. We cannot allow him, in essence, to use the same tactics the Russians and the Syrians did against Syrian civilians in the Ukraine. We've got to continue not only provide military assistance, which will change and has evolved from stingers and javelins to longer range artillery to HIMARS and now more sophisticated air defense as this relentless attack by the Russians continues. But we also have to provide humanitarian assistance and economic assistance to the Ukrainians. And I fear this winter might see a second refugee crisis. And last but not least, as I say, we need to continue to tailor our military assistance and coordinate it with our European allies to make sure we have maximum effect. And consider, I think, doing things much more bold. For example, I think we need to consider, if not direct military assistance in Ukraine, At least contractor support in Ukraine to train Ukrainian forces on their territory and repair equipment on their territory that can more quickly then be returned to the battlefield.
0: Unfortunately, we're running out of time here. Give us your final thoughts, though, please, before we
1: go. My final thoughts would be these. First of all, Putin's lost. By any measure, he's lost. I mean, consider the effect on the economy. He has lost highly skilled young people, perhaps as many as 750,000 have fled the country following the initiation of the war and the mobilization. He's had over 100,000 casualties, some estimate as many as 40,000 dead. The long-term effect on the Russian economy is inestimable, and people estimate who follow economies that it will drop by 5% this year and 10 to 15% next year. If you are an extraction economy, which Russia is, the one thing you don't want to be described is as unreliable. The second thing we need to keep in mind is he still thinks he can win. And he thinks he must, because he knows only two Soviet leaders left office still standing up. That was Khrushchev and Gorbachev. The rest of them all were carried out the front door of the, of the Kremlin. And defeat, therefore, for him, may be existential. So he has to think about three variables that will make that possible. One is, does his army continue to fight? That, I think, may be even seem problematical. Second of all, will the Russian people put up with this as the economy constricts. And thirdly, what does the economy actually do in Russia and how precipitous does that in fact happen? Finally, I think when you keep in mind that this is not a war between Ukraine and Russia per se. The stakes here are far, far larger. I think we all agree that democracy around the world is threatened. Therefore, it's more than just a war between Ukraine and Russia, and we cannot afford to lose this. To do so would encourage every despot from Iran to North Korea to China who's seeking to take over Taiwan, et cetera, that the international norms established at the end of World War II, whereby territory was not seized by military aggression, are no longer in place. And they can do willy-nilly what they think is necessary and the opportunities they think now present themselves.
0: Thanks for sharing your insights on this topic. It was a real treat to talk with you.
1: My pleasure, Stephanie.
0: To read the article visit press.armywarcollege.edu/ parameters look for volume 52 issue 4 if you enjoyed this episode of decisive point and would like to hear more you can find us on any major podcast platform.